0: There's this understood, intimate, long-lived knowledge that goes into this poem. Hello, I'm Abram Van
1: And I'm Joanne Diaz.
0: And this is Poetry for All.
1: This podcast is for those who already love poetry and for those who know very little about it. In each episode, we read a poem, discuss it learn from it, and then read it one more time.
0: And today we're going to read one of my favorite sonnets, Shakespeare's Sonnet 73. Joanne, would you read this poem for us?
1: Yes, I will try to. I might get a little <laughs> weepy, but I'll, do, I'll, I'll try to restrain myself. I love this poem too. Okay. Sonnet 73. That time of year thou mayest in me behold When yellow leaves, or none, or few do hang upon those boughs which shake against the cold, bare-ruined choirs where late the sweet birds sang. In me thou seest the twilight of such day as after sunset fadeth in the west, which by and by black night doth take away, death's second self that seals up all in rest." In me thou seest the glowing of such fire that on the ashes of his youth doth lie, as the deathbed whereon it must expire, consumed with that which it was nourished by. This thou perceivest, which makes thy love more strong, to love that well which thou must leave ere long.
0: Mm. It's just so good.
1: Why do you love this poem so much? Why are you drawn to it?
0: (laughs) Well, there's a few particular images that just kill me every time. So this idea of bare ruined choirs. Choirs can be, of course, singers gathered together singing, but that's also the name for the architectural structure at the front of the church where the choirs actually sing. And so what he's imagining here is, is the trees as a kind of Gothic cathedral that has gone to ruins, part of it is just the imagery. And then, of course, part of it is is the way that this all turns in the end, not to a kind of overwhelming melancholy, but instead, this sort of surprising twist, all of this actually makes your love stronger. I just get a weepy when I think about that. <laughs>
1: yeah, me too. If, if I really do. You know, I taught this well, I, may, I attempted to teach this poem in class yesterday And I, I had to catch myself a couple of times Because it's very emotional And anyone who perhaps loves someone Who is in the autumn of their life Or perhaps any of our listeners Who are in the autumn of their lives This is a particularly poignant poem Because it really makes you think about How just how the body changes and what is left of us as we age. It's its very poignant and powerful.
0: Yeah, and actually it reminds me of an episode we just did a, a, a couple of weeks ago, Rafael Campos' poem, Primary Care, because... There, too, you get this sense of aging, but it's not just sort of depression, oh, woe is me, I can't be as great as I was when I was young or whatever. There is instead this sense of a kind of love and tenderness for the body as it ages, and also a sense of growing intimacy, growing knowledge.
1: Maybe we can just get right into the the weeds of the poem and and see how it works, because there's so much here. It's a very accessible poem. There's a certain simplicity to it. it. maybe we could just talk about the the structure of it for a moment. When I say simplicity, all it's saying is, when you see me, you may behold something autumnal in me. And then the second quatrain, it just says, in me, let me describe further what you might see in me. And then in the third quatrain, it further describes and adds to what you may see in me. And then there's the turn, which as you say, confirms that despite what you see in me, you are still willing to love me in the way that you do. And that's it. That I mean, if you were really to just bring it down to its bare bones, but there's so much complexity in each of the sections of the poem.
0: Just so our listeners are all on the same page, a quatrain is these four lines, and these four lines have their own rhyme scheme, A, B, A, B, usually. But in each of them, they allow Shakespeare to isolate a kind of image. So the first four lines, the first quatrain, the image is seasonal. So we, we've gone into the autumn of life. And the the speaker is kind of remembering spring. Uh, The second quatrain, the image switches to the idea of a single day. And here um, he positions himself at twilight. And he's looking back, not all the way to dawn or noon or the beginning of the day, but In fact, just to sunset. And then suddenly you get this rather dramatic change. The third quatrain, now the the primary image is a fire that is glowing on the embers of what it once was. Uh, And then the final couplet turns all of that to this sense of, in fact, for all of these reasons, you love me all the more.
1: That's great. Let's look at that first quatrain for a minute. That time of year thou mayest in me behold when yellow leaves or none or few, do hang upon those boughs which shake against the cold, bare, ruined choirs where late the sweet birds sang. As line two, when yellow leaves, or none or few do hang. Now it should read, if we're thinking about logic, when yellow leaves or few or none do hang, because you think of all the yellow leaves of autumn and then slowly they vanish from the branch. So there's a few left and then there's none left. But he says, when yellow leaves or none or few do hang. What do you think of that little thing, that little change he makes there? I like that.
0: I like that, too. I mean, it, it it's out of sequence, as you say. Yeah. It gives you the sense that he's kind of scanning these trees and, oh, the yellow leaves are gone. Oh, actually, there's a few left over yeah. here. You know? yeah. there's, this, there's this sense. But also it gives you this sense. I mean, if we're t- thinking about what the image represents, it gives you that sense in which, yes, I've entered into this older age. Yes, I'm in the autumn of my life. There are, in fact, still leaves still hanging.
1: (laughs) What's beautiful, too, is that leaves here can mean, of course, leaves on a tree. It could also be leaves as in the page of a book. So if this is a mature poetic speaker who's in the autumn of his life, Perhaps he's not only commenting on perhaps some physical deterioration, but he may also be talking about his creative powers. And perhaps if he's speaking especially to a younger you, um, a younger addressee, um, maybe he's starting to question whether his leaves, which are full of poems and plays, have the same power that they once had.
0: There's an expression of the powers that once were where late the sweet bird sang, there's a sense in which, yeah, these these leaves were alive and my writing was alive. And yet in the very writing of the poem, if we're, if we're using those yellow leaves as the yellowed leaves of a manuscript, in the very writing of this poem, he's making a kind of song. Yeah. And so there's a sense in which he is still singing in the very act as as he's remembering the way in which he once sang.
1: Oh, that's really nice. Yeah. So that even in the production of the poem, the poem itself is like one of those few yellow leaves. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's still a, a leaf or two left in him.
0: And then we turn to the, the next quatrain, where again, now we start with in me. So we get the phrase in me, in me, in me in each quatrain. It's interesting because so much of this is interior. Basically, you would need to know somebody very well to see these things. There's this understood, intimate, long lived knowledge that goes into this poem. So, Joanne, when we come to that second sonnet and this day in which they have known each other intimately, and there's this sense in which they've known each other all day long, and now it is twilight, he's looking back to, to sunset at best, but it's still twilight, and then he's looking forward to the thing that's right past twilight, which is this black night that is right around the corner, and he comes to these last lines of the second quatrain, which by and by, black knight doth take away, death's second self that seals up all in rest. What is death's second self? And, and what is what is the imagery that he's he's working with there?
1: Well, it sounds very grim and macabre, right? This allusion to death. And it is. But it's also a fairly conventional way to talk about sleep. So the idea that sleep was a kind of cousin of death or a second a version of death so yes it is definitely anticipating that eventually we must all die but it's also following the logic of well when the sun fades in the west when black night takes away the sunset and there's darkness death's second self or sleep seals everything up in rest so there's a sense of closure at the end of this quatrain that interests me what do you think of it?
0: Yeah, definitely get the sense of finality, this idea of sealing up. I mean, we talk about tombs being sealed up. But what's interesting is it's it's still in the plane with the imagery of the day. And so the thing that is being sealed up or the imagery of death is still rest. And so it is a kind of finality, but it's not an expression so much of fear of death. It's It's a kind of resignation, a kind of acceptance that this is the next stage. After twilight comes black night. But In both the first and the second quatrain, you have this very linear progression. So spring, summer, autumn, winter. In the day, of course, ending in night. And then in the third quatrain, you get a very different kind of image, which is this image of a fire. And and it's the glowing of the fire, the embers that are on top of the ashes of youth. Can you Tell me what you see in that third quatrain, what you see happening with that image.
1: Oh, man, this quatrain is so good. In me thou seest the glowing of such fire that on the ashes of his youth doth lie, as the deathbed whereon it must expire, consumed with that which it was nourished by, first of all, that first line of the quatrain. In me, thou seest the glowing of such fire. What a great line break! Because it does uh, the enjambment pushes you from that line to the next, so there's momentum created there. But if you take that line by itself, there's such energy in it. Yeah. In me, thou seest the glowing of such fire. He has that energy in him still, that glow. This is a very different kind of energy. So you think it's powerful, but then it says that on the ashes of his youth doth lie. Wow. It This is like almost a pre-elegy, you know, uh, for oneself. You know, it's almost as if he's writing his own epitaph here and he's saying, here are the ashes of my youth. And yes, there's a glow in the fire, but this fire really is just some embers, you know, there really isn't actually that much left. So the second line of the quatrain sort of qualifies the excitement of that first line, you know?
0: Yeah, I see it exactly as you see it, exactly as you say. But also in the sense that it's consumed by that which it was nourished by. So the fire that created these embers is eventually going to turn it all to ash. But there's also, I think, in this image, as opposed to the the, the first half of the poem, it is it strikes me as a kind of turn, a very subtle turn to the recognition that there's something made possible now that wasn't possible before. When I think of fires, for example, the glowing embers of a fire, you, what you use those for, for example, making s'mores <laughs> with my kids, right? <laughs> um, you don't want a bonfire when you make a s'more with a three-year-old. It's just not a great time. You're mostly afraid uh, that they're going to burn their eyebrows off. Yeah. But, but <laughs> embers, the glowing of such a fire... Um, That makes other things possible. And and there's a a sense in the glowing embers. When I sit out camping and it gets to the point of the glowing embers, it's also the time when people start talking a little more softly. They lean in a little bit more closely. There's a kind of intimacy. So bonfires are great. You wouldn't want a raging bonfire all the time. There's a, a glowing ember of a fire, there, there's a kind of life to it uh, that is specific to it, made possible by the bonfire that came before, but making other things possible now. And this is an old couple. They have grown old. I get the, the sense of a couple that has grown old together that can see in these glowing embers all the memories that made them possible and that creates a new form of intimacy made possible only in this sort of way.
1: Oh my God, I don't see that at all. I see the older poet speaking to his object of desire that perhaps he spoke to elsewhere in the sequence of of sonnets. The young man who perhaps he cannot be with in marriage and perhaps is saying to this young man you know you see, young man you see in me this aging process and you you still want to be near me you perceive it in me and that makes your love for me even stronger you, you will have to leave me b- before long, but while you're with me, you are loving me. It, the pronouns of this poem are not determinate. It's not uh, possible for us to know exactly to whom Shakespeare is speaking, but I it interests me to read it that way because I suspect that perhaps there's a difference in the age between the I and the you in this poem. Does that, does that make sense?
0: You know, I think one of the differences here is if you read this song, In the context of all the other sonnets, Mm. you're going to get a different kind of read. It's it's a sonnet in all the other sonnets. Yes, Shakespeare's talking to a young lover who mostly speaker cannot be with. Uh, And so you, you would not assume that this is a couple grown old together or something like that. In the context of the rest of the sequence of the sonnets, that wouldn't make sense. But if you lift this sonnet out, I I can't help reading in this. I can't help seeing in this by itself as it stands there, this idea... That in the glowing of this fire, in this aging process, in this autumn, in this twilight, this is the very thing that makes your love grow stronger. But I, I grant you that I can only get that that <laughs> out of it if I take this sonnet and 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 forget all the other hundred and fifty what odd sonnets <laughs> that he wrote.
1: Well, I mean it, and also to go to your point that there's so many ways to think about these poems. They have such a flexibility to them, which I think too is a big reason why we continue to read them over 400 years later, right? And we do get to that turn, and I feel like we've already talked about it a little bit. This thou perceivest, which makes thy love more strong, to love that well, which thou must leave ere long. What a beautiful turn or volta we have here. Beautiful way in which those final two lines, they're the only rhymed couplet in, the po- in a Shakespearean sonnet. And they really anchor the turn and really uh, create a connective tissue between strong and long.
0: And it, it seals the deal, which is what a couplet ought to do, yeah. by starting with this right? So you've got these 12 lines, these three different main images, and then you start with this word, this. This meaning summarizing all the 12 lines that become all of this. This thou perceives. Uh, and that signals to the reader, we're coming to the end. <laughs> we're, we're coming to the close. This is this is the end. This is the couplet that's going to seal it off. This thou perceivest. And there's a kind of almost surprise to me anyway, in that idea of more strong. You You might expect it to say, You see all this aging (laughs) happening and all of this perception of it make, make you turn away. But instead, it does precisely the opposite. It makes your love more strong.
1: Oh, that's great. It's so great. Well, with all of those things in mind, would you read this poem again, Abram?
0: Absolutely. Sonnet 73 that time of year thou mayst in me behold when yellow leaves or none or few do hang upon those boughs which shake against the cold bare ruined choirs where late the sweet birds sang in me thou seest the twilight of such day as after sunset fadeth in the west which by and by black night doth take away death's second self that seals up all in rest in me thou seest the glowing of such fire that on the ashes of his youth doth lie as the deathbed whereon it must expire consumed with that which it was nourished by this thou perceivest which makes thy love more strong to love that well which thou must leave ere long
1: Oh, that's so beautiful. To learn more about William Shakespeare and this sonnet sequence and sonnets in general, please visit our website at poetryforall.fireside.fm.
0: And you can subscribe to Poetry for All wherever you get your podcasts. And remember to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and twitter
1: and abram i believe in our next episode we'll be focusing on a poem by your colleague carter rivard is that right
0: that's right carter rivard osage we're going to be turning to one of his poems he was a medievalist in the washu english department and he wrote some incredible poetry and we'll be doing one of his poems for indigenous peoples month that's next
1: okay thank you for listening
0: thank you all